0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, May the 19th, 2022. It is currently 5.45 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas where I don't know if you've been paying attention to national news, but you probably have seen something on the news about Abilene, Texas, or maybe specifically Taylor County. That's the county in which Abilene, Texas is located. But right now there are fires all around Abilene, Texas. Over 9,000 acres have burned. Over 50 homes have been destroyed. It is currently 106 degrees outside um, and which is not making things any better. No chance for rain anywhere in the forecast. I think the last time I looked, the fire was at five percent contained. It's just a, it's a bad situation. It's a, it's a horrible situation. It's bad. It's 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 just it's not a good thing. So if you could pray for our local area, we would greatly appreciate it. The main thing we need is not only to pray that the fire could be contained and they can stop it from spreading and destroying more homes. And more animals who, that have been killed, caught in the fire, and all the other just horrible things going on. I, I guess the main thing to pray for is rain. We need rain desperately in this area. We need a break, uh, somewhat, somewhat of a break from these temperatures. 106. Uh, I think, I think, I think uh, possibly 107, 108. I think tomorrow it's supposed to be 108. Some some areas around here up to 110 degrees. That is with absolutely dry almost drought like conditions it's just a, a bad recipe so that's what's happening outside of the window behind me it is not good it's crazy it's devastating but here inside the the home in which I'm broadcasting from things are where we are safe here currently right now so things are well with us obviously pray for the people where things are not so well right now whose homes have been destroyed. It's just it's just a bad situation. But what I want to do this afternoon is try to bring some calm to obviously n- nothing like the, the devastation happening uh, you know outside with the fires. But there's been a lot of uh, noise, controversy, a lot of a lot of high emotions over the past few weeks as we have set out to do a very in-depth study of Matthew 24. Now, this this is a part of what we call the Bible study exercise for all new listeners listening today. Bible study exercises very simple. They are designed to move you from a passive listener to an active participant. The goal is to get you to actually study the Bible, not just listen to someone turn on the microphone and tell you what to believe. It's to get you involved in the text. How we do this is I give you homework. Uh, you you can turn in the assignment to me if you want, or you don't have to do anything. But it's to get you actually looking things up using uh, all the different tools we point you to. But doing that, there's a cur- there's curriculum that you can have access to free. All you have to do is email me and ask for it. We send you a link. It's free. You have access to it every week. Whatever we're going to be studying, it's it's there. And uh, we want we want as many people as possible to use that curriculum. And again, it's free. It's just to supplement what we do. Um, then I do some teaching. Sometimes I do teaching in a very unique style, like, well, could it be this? Maybe it's this. Like, I don't even know the answer because I'm trying to get you involved in looking for the answer for yourself. But we have been, typically we spend like one week on one passage of scripture, but we have basically are spending close to eight weeks on Matthew chapter 24. We have been working on it and working on it and working on it. And I don't know if you are aware of this, but when... (laughs) When you challenge people's, let's say, firmly held beliefs in regards to eschatology, firmly held beliefs when it comes to biblical prophecy, the end times, when you, when you challenge anybody's firmly held beliefs when it comes to eschatology, you, you're going to get controversy, you're going to get people upset, you're going to get people mad, you're going to bother people, And then it leads to lots of controversy and it just, it just, it just, it's not pleasant. And that's unfortunate because we have to be willing to have our perspectives challenged. We have to be willing to allow that. But some people are like, nope. This is my eschatology. This is what I believe. Don't challenge it. Don't question it. And I'm only going to listen to people who already agree with me. Therefore, I will always be comfortable in everything. And I will always feel like I'm right. And I hate that idea. Uh, Even in my preaching, I hate that idea. I'll take whatever we're looking at. I'm like, okay, guys, here's the passage of scripture we're looking at. Here's Seven different approaches people have taken in church history to this text of scripture. Let's consider each one. And I may not even tell the church which one that I'm holding to, and I just struggle through each one. Sometimes it's maddening to people, but guess what? One, my job is to keep you from being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. One of the ways to do that is for me, myself, to present every wind of doctrine to you right? So that when it's all said and done, you're like, okay, I've already been tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So if I ever hear these doctrines again, I've already been exposed to them. If I hear any of these these interpretations, I've already heard them in church or, well, from this podcast. But a lot of people don't like that. They like, I, I hate to say this, some people like certainty over truth. They just want it simple. They want a certain, specific answer, and then everyone's happy with that. But that's not the way it works. The pursuit of truth the pursuit of truth is not a pursuit of certainty. The pursuit of truth is just trying to figure out what, what's the correct way to handle the word of God. That's what it's about. And sometimes it's not so certain. Sometimes it's not as easy as everyone pretends that it is. A lot of people are so used to sitting in a church where the pastor just stands up and says, we're going to be preaching this and here's the three points and here's what you're supposed to believe. As if there's no difficulty, there's no controversy. That's doing you a disservice because there is controversy, there is disagreement, and you need to be confronted with it and struggle with it. But but whenever you challenge people's system, it creates just a lot of a noise and a lot of emotion. And then it can just like, sometimes I have to sit back and go, so what? so what have I accomplished here? We were talking about this last night after the study we did last night. And this is really what's happened. I've made the preterist mad. I've made the futurist mad. I've made the dispensationalist mad. I've made pretty much every, in other words, every system of eschatology, people who firmly hold to one system of eschatology, they've all been mad at me because I've basically have not agreed 100% 100% with any of them. But you know what? My job is to try to figure out what Matthew 24 is saying, not what your system tells me it means. I can't worry about the system. I've tried to say that through this entire study, that I'm not here wearing the gang colors of, of a particular view in eschatology. I, I, it, it, I can't worry about if it makes everyone mad. My job is like, here's Matthew 24. We got to figure this out. If it agrees with your eschatology, wonderful. If it disagrees with your eschatology, I'm sorry, but I have to pursue it at all cost. And I have received so many, oh man, comments and emails and disagreements. And it's just been, it's been a little bit overwhelming, but I'm doing the best I can to try to get us through this. So let, let me just explain where all of the trouble begins. All right. Most and i stress most a majority of evangelical christians have been taught over and over and over to basically look at matthew 24 as giving signs for the second coming of christ for the end times any reference to matthew 24 and 70 ad is passing it's just it's just passing quickly it's just, it's just passed over it's just it's just kind of mentioned just briefly it's briefly mentioned um yeah someone someone just said wouldn't it have been better if god had just made everything more simple yeah it, it, i, I I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And it would probably be better if we didn't even make it more complicated ourselves. But yeah, I, I, I completely agree. But but the bottom line is, or what I was saying, um, it's just, it, it's just, it is, I it's so frustrating. I don't want to get, I don't want to distract myself from where we need to go because I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to bring some uh, calm to the storm in this episode is what I'm going to do because, I, because my assignment for you this week is going to be, it's going to be very important considering we've spent so much time in trial and tribulation over the last couple of weeks, but we'll get there in a minute. So most evangelicals, again, Matthew 24, it's just always looked at the future, the future, the future, the future, second coming, second coming, second coming. And they may say, well, I mean, yeah, some of it could be 70 AD, but but there's a future. There's a future application as well. And, and when they say a future application as well, what they really mean is, all I really care about is the future application. And they almost forget completely any historical significance. And I've pointed this out so many times. When I read Matthew 24, the primary focus has to be what's just right here in the text. Jesus walks out of the temple that was standing when he was on earth. This is somewhere 32, 33 AD. His disciples walk up to him and point out those buildings of the temple saying, look at them. And Jesus is like, yeah, I see them. And they're all going to be destroyed. And the disciples are like, whoa, wait, when, where, how, what? Tell us. And then Jesus begins in Matthew 24, verse 4, to give them the signs. Now, these signs have been basically taken by most of the evangelical world and completely ripped out of any historical context and say, the second coming, the second coming, the second coming. That's how anytime there's an earthquake, there's a famine, There, it doesn't matter. Oh, see, this is a sign of the end times. And you're like, uh, guys, first of all, If those were signs of the end times, they've been happening over and over and over and over and over since 33 AD. So they've lost any inherent meaning by this point in time. So that doesn't even really work just from a logical perspective. But the focus has to be, no, they're pointing to 70 AD. They're pointing to 70 AD. So we have to first and foremost consider Matthew 24 and light of 70 AD. And the minute you attempt to say that or the minute you attempt to do that, it makes people extremely nervous. It bothers them. It rocks the boat. and And I understand that because it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I've never heard this. But it's, you should be bothered by the fact that you've never heard. You should be more bothered by the fact that you never heard it, not bothered by hearing it. Because the reason why you should be more bothered by not hearing it is you were being given, they were doing a, disservice to you they were not they were not helping you you needed to know that wait a minute throughout church history there's been plenty going wait a minute this is this is focused on 70AD you should have been so familiar with that view as well as your historic or as your futuristic point of view you should have known both of them and not just and then you should have had to struggle with both of them because that's how we grow in our understanding. So we've tr- tried our best to consider everything in Matthew 24 by pointing to 70 A.D. to the best of our ability. I've not even tried to be dogmatic other than saying that, hey, I think we can dogmatically say this clearly happened before 70 A.D. and this verse and this verse and this verse because we have historical evidence to indicate clearly it happened before 70 A.D. Now, are there verses here that that doesn't seem to fit? Absolutely. Are we still struggling with some of them? Absolutely. Last night, did we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and once again try to look at fulfillment of 70 AD? Yes, we did. Did once again we go to historical sources to try to prove that? Yes, we did. Did it make people uncomfortable? Yes, it did. Did it anger some people? Yes, it did. But again, 2 Thessalonians was written in 51 AD. Why wouldn't we look to 70 AD as a possible fulfillment for many of that? That just seems to be like, it's not even about a system of eschatology. It's about just good Bible study. But to say, I say all of that just to show you that it's just been a crazy couple of weeks. But we are fast approaching the end of our study. According to the curriculum, sorry if I hit the microphone there. According to the curriculum, we have this week. The next week will be Unit 2, Session 6. Session 6 will be Matthew 25. Then the week after that, we go to, in fact, let me just go here to the curriculum. Okay, so this week, it is called Keep Serving Faithfully. Keep Serving Faithfully. That's going to be an important, uh, that's going to be important here in just a minute. The next week is Stay Prepared and Ready. That's Unit 2, Session 6. Then the next week, we go to Unit 1, Session 1, which is called Convicted by the spirit so we have this week and next week and then the following week we move to something completely different Now we could possibly extend our study of Matthew 24 another week if need be we may we who knows how things will go but I just want you to know we're quickly coming to and end to the study we are quickly quickly coming to an end. Some of you may be relieved. Some of you may have already just dropped out and, and you're just frustrated and don't care. And I hope that hasn't happened. Some of you just got mad and disagreed. And so you've dropped out just because you disagreed, which I, I hope that that didn't happen. But because we're getting close to the end, I'm getting very, 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 very worried, very, very bothered that when it's all said and done, all we got was a lot of, uh, of, Of noise, all we got is a lot of fury. We've got a lot of controversy. We got a a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing that when it when it's all said and done, that someone's gonna throw up their hands and say, meaningless, 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 our vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want to get to the end, and all I feel like that I accomplished was I just ticked off everyone in the world. What did you accomplish when you studied Matthew 24? Well, I ticked off the amillennialists, the premillennialists. The uh, preterist, the dispensationalist—I just ticked off the whole world. Everyone was mad at me. Well, that—that was brilliant. So, how how did your numbers do for your podcast? Well, I lost three thousand people, but that—but other than that, everything went great. It was a brilliant idea. I'm so glad I decided to study Matthew 24. It was the best decision of my life. No, I'm afraid that I'm going to get to the end of this going. Hmm. A lot of noise. Signifying absolutely nothing, and I all I did was tick off people and make people mad at me, and got really mean, nasty things and comments said to me, and they they stopped listening to me. Wow, that was, and I'm going to just feel like, well, I wasted twenty. I mean, this is like this is going to be like hour twenty five. We've spent twenty five hours working on Matthew twenty four. That is, and and I, I look on one side, I'm I'm, I'm very happy with what we've done. Right. I'm very happy. I've provided 25 hours of teaching on Matthew 24, free of charge, not behind a paywall, giving you curriculum, homework, assignments. I mean, absolutely free. So I'm glad that we're doing that. That's awesome. But if when it's all said and done, all all I accomplished was making everyone angry and mad because I did not go along with a particular team. But I... I can't go with a team. I have to go with the text. Text over team. That's my motto. Text over team. With or without offense to friend or foe, I'm going to speak of the text exactly as it goes. That's not exactly how that historical quote goes. I kind of reworded it for my own. But without With or without offense to friend or foe, I'm going to speak of the text exactly as it goes. My job is to figure out exactly what the text is saying by the words that are used in the context in which it was written. That's what my job is, and 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 sadly, Christians don't really want that. They want their team. They want they want their team colors represented they want their team motto represented they want their team's pres- position promoted and i'm i'm not i'm not bound to your team i'm supposed to be bound to the text and not everything can be so easily defined and going well it here's my system of eschatology your interpret- interpretation of Matthew 24 better fit my system of eschatology i'm not I'm not bound to fit Matthew 24 into your system. Your system should be required to submit to Matthew 24. That's that's the way it should work. But it's, it's been extremely, extremely frustrating. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to reach the end of our study in Matthew 24. And we're going to be left with a lot of unanswered questions. I hate to say it. We're going to have a lot of things that we cannot be dogmatic. I think there's some things we're going to be dogmatic about, and there's going to be other things we cannot, because we can only be dogmatic about what the text is clear on. And when we don't really know, and there's been nothing but 2,000 years of disagreement, we've got to just acknowledge our own fallibility, our own weakness, our own inability to maybe interpret certain sections. And we have to be okay with that. Uncertainty is better than a false certainty. I think this is a very important principle. But because we're getting close to the end, and because I'm obviously concerned and worried and all the noise and all the frustration and, and it's just been so like, man, what did I do? How, how did I make so many people upset with me? What I want to do is try to bring us to some kind of positive conclusion, maybe, Maybe maybe I'm I'm jumping the gun here, but I, I think that this is a very important week to really try to get us focused here. And we're going to use a part of Matthew 24 to accomplish this. I think obviously, first and foremost, it's immediate application probably is to the people facing 70 AD, but whether it's the people facing 70 AD or whether it's the people facing the second coming, I think there's an application here for those of us facing the uncertainty of maybe not having definitive answers in regards to the biblical text in which we are studying. I think the the text itself is either giving some kind of advice to people facing 70 AD, they're facing a lot of unknowns, to the people possibly facing the second coming, there will be a lot of unknowns, but whether it's those, whichever way you want to go, a historical perspective or a preterist perspective or a futuristic perspective, what... Whatever you want to do there, I want to set aside that fight and just acknowledge there's a lot of things we're not going to understand about Matthew 24 and apply some of this to that situation. I I hope that makes sense. Let's start here. The curriculum for this week is unit two, session five, and it's keep serving faithfully. Keep serving faithfully faithfully. I want you to write those three words down somewhere, and I want you just to place them anywhere and everywhere. I want you to almost memorize. I know it's only three words. Keep serving faithfully. Keep serving faithfully. Keep serving faithfully. And you could write this out into a a broader quote that I'm going to give you. When uncertainty is all you can see, when uncertainty is your immediate future you can you can write this quote you can you can you can form this quote any way you want when uncertainty is right in front of you keep serving faithfully or you could say this the way we face uncertainty is with continuing to serve faithfully uncertainty must be met with faithful service no matter how uncertain any situation is, uncertainty financially, uncertain, uncertainty medically, uncertain, uncertainty about the future, uncertainty about your child, your spouse, your life, any, uncertainty about biblical answers, uncertainty about about so many things where you're just filled with confusion and doubt, just keep serving faithfully. That's how we have to meet uncertainty is with faithful service. We cannot allow our service and our following God to have to be derailed by uncertainty. While uncertainty may ex- be present and it may be present at different times in your life and if it's not there now, it may be coming because you don't know what difficult trial tragedy is about to hit you. But all you can do when that uncertainty slaps you, it's just, and it may knock you completely to the ground. It may kick you 12 times while you're down. You just have to get back up and say, I'm going to cons- continue to serve faithfully, even though this uncertainty hurts. This uncertainty is confusing. All you can do is serve faithfully. That uh, That's the title of the study for this week. And it is based, if you click on the, the curriculum, for those who have access to the curriculum, or if you want access, just email me. Newsif if at yahoo.com news at yahoo.com and what i love so if you open up the curriculum it says keep serving faithfully and right underneath that guess what it shows people running it appears to be i will say a marathon that's what it looks like they're running a marathon they're running a marathon i love that image the christian life has never been a sprint never will be a sprint it's not a hundred yard dash It's a 26-mile marathon. It's a, forget a 26-mile marathon. It could be a 60-year marathon. It could be a 70-year marathon. It could be a 50-year marathon. In fact, there's uncertainty in the marathon we run because we don't know when it's going to end. So there's already uncertainty built into the Christian marathon. The Christian life is, is a marathon. We run, and there's already uncertainty built into it. We don't know where the finish line is. It could be tomorrow. It could be next month. And so there's already uncertainty built in. You know what? The thing about running a Christian marathon is the path is not, and in a sense that the road that we're running is not clearly marked. In other words, we don't know what's coming. They haven't cleared everything out. They haven't stopped traffic. No, no, we're just running, and boom, cars are coming this way and that way. Wild animals are running out. In other words, there's all kinds of dangers and difficulties and trials facing us as we're trying to run the Christian life. It is a marathon where we don't know where the, the finish line is. We don't know when we're going to get there, and there's nothing protecting the path in the sense that, well, trials and tribulations and difficulties are coming into our life at any given time. You don't know what's coming. You don't even know what's coming around the next corner. You don't even know if you're taking the right corner. There's just lots of uncertainty built in. And the text, the text for this week is Matthew 24, 42 to 51. Matthew 24, uh, 42 to 51. Matthew 24, 42 to 51. Now, again, I think first and foremost, a lot of this has everything to do with 70 A.D., all right? We'll, we'll, try to, we'll try to put the, the verses that come before this and, into some kind of proper context if we can ever finish all the things we need to finish, but here we go. We'll just jump to 42, all right? Where uncertainty, uncertainty in life, uncertainty maybe in our study, uncertainty about your system of eschatology, there's just uncertainty, but here's what we can do. Matthew 24, 42. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now, if we apply that to 70 AD, they didn't know when that was going to happen. It's not like Jesus says 70 AD. That's the year. He didn't give them the year. He gave them signs. He didn't give them the year. But they needed to be watching. Now, you say, well, it says when the, when your Lord doth come. Again, Preterists would say he came in judgment, basically against Israel. Others would say, no, that's not when he came. But I'm just saying, even if you apply to 70 AD, they didn't know. And if you apply it to the second coming, we don't know, right? And some would say, well, it's not to the second coming, it's to the rapture. I- we can get into all the arguments about eschatology, wherever you want to put it. The point is, you don't know when the rapture is going to be. If you don't believe in a rapture, then you can you can say there's things we don't know. we we'll put it this way. We don't know. Just as they didn't know exactly when 70 AD was going to occur, there's a lot of things we don't know in, in regards to the parousia, the coming of Christ, the, the rapture, what, however you want to look at your eschatology. There's a lot we don't know. We don't know. So what do we do? We watch, therefore. We watch, therefore. We watch. A- another translation translates it this way. All right, that's uh, verse uh, 40. You see, what verse was that? That's uh, verse uh, 42, Matthew 24, verse 42. Uh, let me see here. I got to find it in this Bible. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Watch watch, be alert. So here is assignment number one this week. All right we may we may finish Matthew 24 and we may not have a clue. We may not there may be things we don't understand. we we may not have a, any clue about the future eschatology of when Jesus is going to come back. We, there's going to be uncertainty. not forget just eschatology. just forget Matthew 24. There's uncertainty in your life. there's there's times we don't have the answer. so here's what we can do no matter what is going on. watch. Be alert. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to work on that word watch. Therefore, just the word watch, Matthew 24, 42, watch. I want you to just do a basic study on that word watch. What does it entail? What does it mean to watch therefore? Because we, that's something you can put into practice. Look, whatever, whenever Matthew 24 is over, you can say, here's what I know. Whenever I face uncertainty, I need to watch. We face uncertainty. We deal with uncertainty by watching. Watching, watching, being alert. Now, maybe watching for the return of Christ, maybe being alert. What? Watch, be alert. What, just, I want you to just, what can you glean from that word? Just do a basic word study, just a basic word study. What's the Greek word? How is the, where is the Greek word used in the rest of the New Testament? What is the meaning of that Greek word? And what can you derive by seeing how it's used through the rest of the New Testament? And just have a basic idea, what does it mean to watch. I mean, be alert, all right? Be alert. That would be a a good place to start, all right? That's your homework, Okay. Remember, I'm not going to do the teaching right now, all right? So watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come, verse 43, but know this, that if the good men of the house had known and what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered the house to be broken up. Therefore, be you also ready, for in such an hour you think not the Son of Man comes. In other words, we need to watch, and we need to it be, in, in fact, I'm going to read this from another translation, 24, verse 43. I like it this way, but know this. If the home, homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. So here's what the first thing I want you to consider when we're facing uncertainty watch whatever the uncertainty is watch second we have to ensure and protect how would we say this our spiritual growth spiritual Truth. In other words, what what we could well we're facing uncertainty, we've got to be alert, we've got to be watching, and we've got to, to do what we can to ensure that our spirituality is not, well, destroyed or hindered or hurt or Or the truth of, we we, we continue to protect that which is of great value. That is our spiritual growth and the word of God and and evangelism. We protect that which has the greatest spiritual value. Or we protect that which has the greatest value, which is that which is spiritual. right? Because it says, hey, if you would have been paying attention, you wouldn't let your house get broken into. Oh, what's more valuable? Our, our, Our treasure on earth where moth dust, it ru- ru- uh, rust and it corrupts, are our spiritual treasure. That's our spiritual growth. That's the word of God. We, we have to, that even though we are facing uncertainty, we, we stand and we, we look to protect that which is of the greatest spiritual value. I, I think that's a good way to apply that, all right? Go back to Matthew 24, all right? Matthew 24, starting in verse 42. Matthew twenty four. I keep switching back from one Bible to another, but that's okay. Verse so verse forty two. Watch. We need a we need to focus on watch this week. Second, I want you to consider then what that if if that if we know what, what, if we know when the hour is going to come, we wouldn't let the thief break in, right? We wouldn't let the thief break in. We need to be on the lookout. So how can you be on the lookout in a sense for from the thief stealing that which is of great of, of the greatest value, which is that which is spiritual. Your spiritual growth, the word of God, truth. In other words, we have uncertainty, and sometimes here's what happens. When there's uncertainty, we ignore, we stop protecting that which is spiritual. We become distracted. Let's state it this way. Number one, we need to watch. I need you to do a word study and watch. Secondly, I need you to consider what it means to not allow yourself to become distracted by the uncertainty, so you do not protect that which is spiritual. You can be distracted. And when you become distracted, then you're not you're not watching your post. You're not you're not standing guard. And we've got to stand guard over that which is of great of great value, which is that which is spiritual. Because we become distracted by our uncertainty, or we become distracted by whatever. In this particular case, hey, I don't know when he's coming back, so I'm not going to pay any attention. Next thing you know, the house is being broken into. The uncertainty led to a distraction. And let me read the verse again. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watched, the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered that house because he didn't know, he stopped paying attention. I'll I'll use this illustration. For many, many of you know, I was in the military 19 years before everything went horribly wrong and then got medically retired, Not now 100% disabled, won't go through that whole long story. But in basic training, I got picked, unfortunately, <laughs> to be what they called the dirty dozen. And we were the do- dorm guards, right? The door guards for our dorm, all right, and we—I got picked always to work the overnight hours, right? The overnight hours, and it was—it was caught. It was, it, was, it was one of the things that they would do is they would always play these tricks, trying to get access to the dorm without having the credentials in order to gain access to the dorm. And they would send people up with a fake ID, whatever the case. They would try to do everything, trick you, everything they can to gain access when they're not supposed to. So it was a constant, like, hey, you're going to stand guard to the dorm. Well, I mean, the dorm was already on a, a, a military, there was no real, re, there was no real threat to the dorm. There, so this is all a military exercise training you about the importance of, you know, when you're assigned a post, you don't leave that post until you're properly relieved of your duty. All There was all these military principles that were trying to teach you, but in reality, there was no th- real threat, but you're just there. So it's like, you know, you've been marching all day, you've been doing things all day, you're exhausted, right? And you're like, okay, now I'm going to be up in the middle of the night, for my shift, doing dorm guard duty. Okay, and so you're you're just walking. The dorm is completely dark, right? It's completely dark, and there's a few lights on, and you're just standing there in the hallway, and you can hear. And, and you have to walk around. You're supposed to walk around, like you know, every I can't remember what the rules were to check everyone, make sure everyone was okay, everyone was in their bed. Okay, and you're walking around, and everyone's there snoring and sleeping. It's pitch black, so and you're just sitting there going, "What in the world?" it's just dead silence. You can't do anything. You're just standing in a dark hallway, just standing there. They would give you a chair, I think, to sit in, but that was a bad idea, right? So you, just, you just sit standing there going, this is crazy. There's nothing, there's no threat. And as soon as you kind of put your guard down, the next thing you know, someone's knocking on the door or someone's trying to get in. And if you mess up, that could be, that could. if you fail to do your job, If you get distracted, if you don't, if you just let your guard down, well, I mean, there's nothing, no, then that's what happens. Well, uncertainty can be the very distraction that you say, well, I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know what's going on. I don't know the answers to eschatology. I don't know the answers to Matthew 24. And, And in a sense, then you become so distracted that boom, we get spiritually hit and then the person breaks in and hurts us spiritually. I'm using it this and as an, as a principle here. The principle for them, I think, is 70 AD first and foremost. But even if you look at it from a futuristic perspective, it's the same thing. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know when quote unquote the rapture is. Whatever your view in eschatology, we've already been debating it for you know weeks now we we can get into all of that but for for this week i'm trying to put aside those differences to give us these principles watch what does that mean and i want you to just really consider how then uncertainty can be a distraction well the next thing you know your house is being broken into spiritually you in a sense the thief breaks in and hurts you spiritually sometimes in times of great uncertainty Great spiritual damage occurs to us, right? I'm really trying to emphasize that there, right? And we'll flesh this out. Remember, Bible study exercise, I teach this way in a specific, for a specific reason. I try to do, I throw out diff, this idea and this idea and I state it one way and I state it a different way because I'm trying to get you to process it. Remember, I want you with that notebook open working on this. So your first assignment, watch, Word study. Second, I want you to consider verse 43 and just think of it as, what's the principle here? Is this demonstrating uncertainty leads to a distraction which makes you vulnerable for the thief to break in, right? How do you perceive the principle there? Verse 44, therefore, be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the son of man cometh. I want you to work on the word watch. I want you to consider the whole distraction and danger of the house being broken into verse 43, verse 44. I want you to do a word study in the word ready. What does it mean to be ready? Watch ready. Are they similar? Are they just synonyms? Are there, there's a difference in any way, shape or form? Is it just strengthening the idea? Is it just saying the same thing in a different way? You get, you get the idea. All right. Ready. Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Now, this is almost stated as a question. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who is the faithful and wise servant then? Verse 45 in a different translation reads like this. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household? Household to give them food at the proper time. Who is a faithful and wise servant? So let me ask you this. Let me ask it. So, this is a question I want you to work on this week. What would be the characteristics of a faithful and wise servant in a time of uncertainty? when you don't have all the philological answers, when you don't have all the answers to Matthew 24, you don't have all the answers about the second coming, you don't have all the answers about your child who's just been diagnosed with terminal cancer, you don't have all the answers because you just received a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning and your child was killed by a drunk driver. When you're facing, what does that faithful and wise servant look like in time of great uncertainty and difficulty? Now remember, in, in the light of 70 AD, they were going to face horrible difficulties. In the face of the future, the, if, if, whether you look at it from a futuristic perspective or a preterist perspective, there's uncertainty in both. So what, what, who then is the faithful? What are the characteristics of a faithful and wise servant? Verse 46 Blessed is he, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods, but, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of the servants shall come in that day when he looketh not for him, and an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him the portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I think you get an idea, some ideas of the faithful and wise servant, Right? Okay, the faithful and wise servant seems to be possibly the one who makes sure they have meat in due season. Uh, he should uh, the faithful and wise servant is the one that when he co- when the, the when the uh, the Lord comes, he's going to find him doing what he was supposed to be doing. I think you're going to you're and 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 uh, someone who's not a faithful and wise servant, where they're going to start smiting <laughs> the fellow servants, eating and drinking, and uh, with the drunken, they're just going to throw off all restraint and do whatever they want. And sometimes in times of great uncertainty. We, we stop worrying about being the faithful and wise servant. We stop worrying about providing spiritual food. We stop worrying about doing what God calls us to do. And we just like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So here's your assignment. You ready? Watch. Just do a basic word study. Basic word study. We've already talked about how to do a word study. Just do a basic word study. You can use the Blue Letter Bible app. You look up the interlinear. It's going to be basic, simple stuff, shouldn't take you very much. Remember, you can send your assignments to me for anyone who wants to participate. All right, 43, I just want you to think about how the distraction can make us, well, vulnerable to the thief breaking in. I want you to just consider everything about verse 43, how you could apply this. Verse 44, basic word study in the word ready. Is it very similar to watch? Is it different? What's what's the distinction there? And then I want you in verse 45 to 51, I want you to just basically try to, what would be a, who, what is the characteristic of a faithful and wise servant in a time of great uncertainty? Hey, I don't, I don't know when Christ is coming back. Hey, I don't know when 70 AD is going to occur. Again, I can look at it from preterist perspective or a futuristic perspective. That's what I want you to consider. That's what I want you to consider. Now, I'm going to make sure. Um, oh, I've got to look at all the different apps that we're currently broadcasting live on. All right, so let me, first and foremost, make sure on the Spreaker app, I've already responded to one comment there on the Spreaker app. Let me make sure there's no more comments here. Okay, nope, no more, just the one. Let me go to another app to make sure there's no comments okay good uh, someone quoted from the ESV uh, therefore stay awake an active state not passive waiting oh, I like that all right that's that's uh, that's really good uh, but I, I don't want to give too much away for people uh, that you know what this is a Someone just made a very good point, and I do, and I appreciate this. I categorize eschatology as a non-essential matter within soteriology. If someone gets mad at you for not agreeing with your, eschat- your eschatology, they're simply not mature in their faith. Okay, um, I, I, I think I think there, there's some truth to that. I, I tend to put eschatology for for those who've been a part of the teaching for this point of time. I, I tend to put eschatology that I think so much of the disagreements about eschatology are not about eschatology. I think it's a hermeneutical issue. So then we're disagree. I think sometimes people fight over eschatology, but what we have to do is we have to set aside our eschatology and go, okay, now what is your what is your hermeneutical approach here? What, what is your hermeneutical approach to the text? And we got to first agree on, a, on a, herma, a hermeneutic. And once we agree on a hermeneutic, then we can then look at the text then from the text, build the eschatology. So many people start with the eschatology because it, because so much of the way eschatology is taught, it's taught like we're going to study eschatology, right? And so then we go through the different elements of eschatology, right? Okay, Israel... Uh, you know, do we? how do we understand a millennial kingdom, the book of Revelation, 70 AD, preterism, uh, millennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, dispensationalism, you go get it. And we almost are always taught a system in all the different Bible colleges, all the different seminaries I attended, and there's been a bunch of them, um, was always taught the system, taught the system. Now you're giving scripture as your as your supposedly proof text, but you're not really studying. Everyone will claim they're studying the text, but you're really given the system, and the scripture is just provided as proof text, right? So I, I don't like that approach. What I like is to study whatever the text is, applying a consistent hermeneutic, and then struggle with whatever the text is saying. Figure out what the text is saying, and then step back and go, hmm, what system of eschatology does this agree with or disagree with? Then, then, it's like study the text, then go to the system. We start with the system and then go to the text. I say start with the text, like we're studying Matthew 24, and I'm not going at it like we're going to study Matthew 24, and here's the system we're going to place on Matthew 24. Forget the system. Let's start with Matthew 24, and we've looked at all the different issues, right? We've looked at all the issues, and then we take it and go, okay, this is what this system says about Matthew 24. This is what this system says about Matthew 24. This is what this system says about Matthew 24. We start with the text, go to the system. So many people start with the system and then go to the text. That's how, I mean, I, that's how it was taught. And almost, and I understand in an academic setting, you really don't have time to go through every text, but you again, start with, you know, whatever school you went. I went to an millennial school. I went to premillennial schools. I went to dispensationalist schools. I, I learned the Catholic system of eschatology when I uh, was working on a degree in Catholic theology. All the different schools I went to, I heard them all. I heard them all. But it's always the system, the system, the system, the system. And I think that the, from a church perspective, we start with the text. Now, we don't ignore the systems. I want everyone to know every system. I want them to know the pre-mill system. I want them to know the systems. But when we study the text, I'm not going to just bring my system to the text. I'm going, to you know what? The, the, the system... Now, I know this sometimes offends people, but I view the systems like our little, you know, we call it Fluffy, our our favorite pet. Oh, Fluffy is so good. But for their study, Fluffy has to be taken out back and put down, okay? I know it's horrible. I don't want the killing of an actual animal, but Fluffy has to die, right? Sorry, Fluffy's got to go. Then we go study the text, right? We're working on Matthew 24, working on Matthew 24. And then for every issue, we're like, mm, okay, all right, we got to go find that. We got to go pick up Oh, Fluffy. I-, I need Fluffy to come back for a few mo- moments. Okay, Fluffy, got to revive Fluffy. Okay, Fluffy, what does our system say? Our system says this, Hmm. I don't think that works. I don't think that works at all. Awesome. okay what's the next system okay fluffy I gotta go find another I gotta go find another dog. I'm sorry so I go find you know another dog and I'm like okay what's what's the system say? Oh okay oh I think this fits that system all right okay now all the systems have to go away. Let's move on in the text. Okay, this is a problem. Wait now this doesn't agree with that system and I think what you see is that no one system has all the answers because the system the system gets placed before the text. I know that everyone denies that. But I've just watched it happen my whole Christian life and all of my seminary education and Bible college, Bible institutes, every other place I've gone. I've seen it's the system, the system, the system. Some people are so dedicated to the system. I'm not against the systems, Right. I love the London Baptist Confession of Faith. I love the Westminster Confession of Faith. I love the Puritan Catechism, the Westminster Larger and Smaller Catechism. I like Luther's Catechism. I like the Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. I love all of those systems, right? I, I, I have no problem learning them. But the text is first and foremost, and then we we go from the text to the system, but so many times we learn the system, which then becomes the prerequisite or the presupposition that is applied to the text. I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Um, I hope that makes sense. Um, some, some will, some it will make sense too. All right. Okay, good. So someone's using Lagos and uh, doing a word study. Ooh, look at this. All right, they're doing it. Okay, man, their Lagos system looks really nice. That looks really good. That that's awesome. Uh, their screen. I'm looking at their screen. That's some good stuff right there. All right, but I'm not going to give anything away. Uh, so the the uh, we we always give the assignments first, and then we will come back and we'll put this together for teaching. But because this week, so I want to end. We're at 49 minutes, so I don't want to go too much longer. Um, we'll be back later tonight with probably some other live broadcast. But um, so this is what I want to do. All right. So in the curriculum. As I stated, the curriculum. And if anybody wants the curriculum, just email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Just say you want the curriculum. I'll send you a link. It's free. We do have people who support the ministry who pays for it. So we are appreciative of that. But hang on, I got to log back in because I got logged out. All right, let me go to the curriculum. When you look at the curriculum for this week, it's uh, session five. Uh, keeping, keep serving faithfully. By all means, um, this week I want everyone to look at the curriculum. We'll probably work through it together this week. Now, remember, the curriculum is typically designed just to supplement what we do. We don't even always agree with the curriculum. We sometimes we disagree with the curriculum. All right, we we had some we had some issues with how the curriculum handled certain parts of Matthew twenty four, but then they threw out some pretty cool ideas too. So we were kind of caught in between. But that's good. The curriculum is to supplement not always to go, it's not to go specifically along with, because I like people to get different perspectives, right? Because the key is to get people studying. But um, um, I want people to, to, to look at it, but the, the key here, I just feel that since we are getting closer to the end of our study after 25, 26 hours now, what, 25 hours now almost of, of study that we've done on Matthew 24, I know what we're going to get to the end and I know there's going to still be some disagreements and I know there's still going to be some questions because I believe in some cases, the text is just, we don't have any definitive answers. All right. We don't, I mean, what we did last night in second Thessalonians, whoa, that sparked a firestorm. Okay. Because I defined the man of lawlessness, the man of sin as possible of two individuals who, who, well, basically corrupted the temple in 66 to 68 AD. I gave you their names. I told you exactly what happened, quoting directly from Josephus. And that people are like, wait, I've never heard such. We, we challenged a lot of presuppositions there. But I wanted people to hear different perspectives. So while all of that noise is going on and people getting bothered, right? And in and, and some cases, look, I'm going to say, I, in some ways, I love the passion because it means people care. So I, I don't ever want to put fire on people getting bothered or upset, right? Because, because there's passion, they care. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, so, so that's a wonderful thing. But now we need to set aside all of that frustration and disagreement. And now we need to bring this home. And I think Matthew 24, 42 to 51 Gives us some something to grab on to that we can apply. Yes, we still want to apply it to 70 AD if we look at it from a preterist perspective or a futuristic perspective. We want to, you can apply it to your your eschatology, whatever you're convinced of at this time. But I just want us to look at it again from this way. So I'm just gonna end by reading this: verse Matthew 24, 42. Watch. Watch. No matter, and, and that that eschatology. And whether it's 70 AD or whether it's the second coming of Christ, these are situations that present uncertainty to people. And life is going to hit you with uncertainty over and over and over again. I don't know about you, uncertainty. I, would, I had not been a believer very long. Not a believer very long. Could no longer stay in my the, with my family because of all the chaos going there. Living with another family. And before I even know it, boom, my mom is dead. She's gone. All right. Well, that's a lot of uncertainty. When you're a teenager, your mother is dead, you're a bl- brand new believer, you're not even living with your family, you don't even know what's going to... I was hit with so much uncertainty, I didn't even know what to do. I was, I was in complete, utter like darkness and confusion. I was a new believer trying to figure it all out. And many of you know my story. I ended up with a gun in my hand getting ready to kill myself when it was interrupted and then I spent eight weeks in a psychiatric hospital um as a teenager. I was hit with much uncertainty in my life. And praise God that through that uncertainty, I I I I, I started learning that you know how I have to face uncertainty? I have to face uncertainty with continuing to follow Christ faithfully, continuing to, as imperfect as I, I'm still imperfect, but I mean, obviously, but as I struggled through it, that's all I could do is just follow Christ. So guess what? No matter what uncertainty, I have to watch. And you need to figure out what that word watch means, right? What does it mean? What does it look like? And then verse 43, know this, that if the good men of the house had known what, What watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered the house to be broken up. See, this uncertainty of when it was going to happen led to letting the guard down the house gets broken into. So I want you to consider how that when we are faced with uncertainty, it can lead to a distraction that allows the thief to break in and hurts us spiritually. What can we learn about not allowing and uncertainty to lead to distraction spiritually. I want you to just consider and think about that. Verse 44, therefore be ye also ready. What does it mean to be ready? Now here it says be ready um, for the son of man cometh. Again, preterists would say the son of man came in 70 AD in judgment upon Israel. Futurists would say this is referring to the second coming. Whichever case, there was uncertainty. So what does it mean to be ready? We have to be ready No matter what uncertainty we are facing, what does it mean to be ready? Then what does it mean to be the faithful and wise servant? I think 46, I think 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, and 51 gives you the characteristics of the faithful and wise servant and the opposite characteristics of the servant who is not faithful and wise. I want you to explore that so that we can be the faithful and wise servant, no matter what uncertainty we face whether about issues related to eschatology, whether it's issues related to how to interpret Matthew 24, whether it's the actual coming of Christ, or whether it's the uncertainty of life. There you have it. I hope, I know it's a major different approach to what we've been doing in Matthew 24, but there you have it. That's your homework to start off the week. That's your homework. You can email me your homework to newsif at yahoo.com news if at yahoo.com those in the discord channel you can post it there in discord and uh well we always i always appreciate seeing everyone's homework i i hope it's i hope the homework has been beneficial and i just hope that by the time we finish this i don't want anyone to say meaningless 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 this has all been meaningless i hope this struggle has been beneficial in some way shape or form we have spent a lot of hours And I know we put in a lot of work in the Bible study exercises. I mean, we have done close to 300 episodes in a very short amount of time. And we've put in a lot of work. And I hope that people have benefited from all of them. But I really hope that something positive arises from the Matthew 24 study. I, I, I appreciate everyone's passion and zeal. Praise God that you have a passion and zeal for the word of God and for truth. I just hope that you understand it's the text before your team. It's the text above your system. It's the text above your eschatology. And you should derive your eschatology from the text. You don't take your eschatology and then read it into the text. You have to set aside your eschatology to study the text because your eschatology becomes a presupposition you place upon the text, and that's true of all philological systems. We have to always be willing and and we well, yeah, I'll just stop right there. I could just keep I could keep going. all right, I hope that was beneficial. I'm gonna go find some food and then I may be back later this evening, maybe a little later, and I don't know what we're going to do. if I look at my stack of stuff to cover today, I have literally oh, you know what we need to do tonight? We've got to get we have got to get back to um, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis that we've been working on now for, what, three years? That's probably what we'll do tonight. Uh, man, we're in a difficult chapter in that book. Whew. I don't even know. And there's something else we may do. It may be a little bit of fun. It will probably be extremely frustrating. Um, we may do this as a separate study. I'll just throw this out there. Um, well, I won't even talk about it right now because I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, so we'll see. We've always got so much to do, but uh, always feel free to email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great week of study. Please, uh, please make a good use of this, and uh, let's really bring this study in to a dramatic, powerful conclusion that provides beneficial for everyone. We'll be working on um, a little bit more of Matthew 24 on Wednesday night from the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church. We're going we're gonna to look at some um, preterist perspectives on the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of that, which I've already given homework on that. And then um, we may go back to 2 Thessalonians one more time um, because, wow, we, we had to go so fast last night. We did an a- man, I preached for an hour and 18 minutes last night at Victory Baptist Church. That was crazy. I'm glad I have a congregation who's willing to accept that. Uh, But yeah, that was a big study. So, all right, I'll stop right there. Everyone have a great night. God bless.